Let's talk about working as a multilingual talent. You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The Voice Sam Player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicesam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicesam.com slash markscott. The VOpreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan. Not as cute as Seth Meyers. Not as smart as Colbert. But he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur. Hello and welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. I'm Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur, and as always, back and ready to give you some actionable, practical advice that you can apply to growing your voiceover business. Just before we get into this week's episode, I want to take a minute to say thank you for listening, thank you for downloading, and remind you that all of the episodes of the podcast are available in the archives at vopreneur.com. So if there's anything that you want to know about the business and marketing side of voiceover, chances are I've done an episode on it, and you can find that at vopreneur.com. As a voice actor who only speaks one language, I have to keep a very extensive database of voice actors who speak in other languages so that I'm always able to have a reference for my clients. When they want something in French or German or Spanish or Italian or whatever the case may be, I've got a list of trusted voice actors in my database that I know that I can refer my clients to. But one thing that I've never really fully understood and always wanted to learn more about was the ins and outs of working as a multilingual talent. And so that is exactly what we are going to talk about in this week's episode. I have reached out to a voiceover friend and colleague who speaks not one, not two, but three languages, and she's offering up a number of different tips and tricks and insights for anyone who is a multilingual talent trying to work and market in the voiceover industry. Having never truly mastered the art of speaking English and often stumbling over myself in sessions into the realm of gibberish, I have a huge respect for voice actors who are able to speak more than one language. My guest today is one of those, speaking not one, not two, but three languages. She's worked in television, film, and voiceover, winning a Voice Arts Award in 2017 and being nominated again in 2019. She's also a fellow podcaster. Her clients include Google, Ford, and Ikea. Welcome to the show, Nikki Mondolini. Hey, Mark. I'm so happy to be connecting with you today. How does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone this time around? Because I know you're <laughs> used to being the one that's doing the interviewing and asking all of the questions. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, the the nice thing is that, that I know what you go through with scheduling and, and being ready and wanting to know if you're if your guest has received the link, if everything's going to work out and everything. So, uh, so yeah, that's why I, I made sure I was responding to you right away and take that little bit of stress out of the way. So, But it's great. It's great to be on this side of, of the mic. Nice. So you are trilingual, English, Spanish, mm -hmm. Italian, which, I mean, that's yes. impressive in and of itself. And then you've managed to flip that into a voiceover business. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about your story and how you ended up in a place where you're speaking three languages. 
Um, well, as you mentioned before, you know, uh, I have a background in, in television. I was 11 years old when I did my first musical. So that was kind of like my big start into the business. Um, my mom is a choreographer. And uh, so I had been with her, you know, to rehearsals and my sisters and I were just little brats hanging out with her, you know, with mom, either when, when she was teaching and we all were dancers as well. Um, and so when the opportunity came for uh, the the part of a girl to play, uh, you know, Baby June in the, the musical Gypsy, they came to the studio. My mom was going to be the assistant choreographer. Um, so my older sister and myself, we auditioned and, and I got the part because my older sister was going to be living for a year in, in the, the UK with my grandparents. Um, so then it, it was, you know, up to me. And gosh, I enjoyed it so, so much. It was amazing. And from there on, you know, I just knew, I, I felt it, that that, that was going to be my my path. You know, I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be on camera. I did some voice work in, in Mexico as well, but I never had a studio or really went into voiceover as full-time as I, as I do right now because I was mainly on camera, theater, film, you know. And, um, well, the, the switch that I made, you know, like really more purposefully into voiceover was when we came to the U.S. My husband and I have uh, three kids. And in 20, I mean, in 2006, we decided to uh, come here and pursue more opportunities and give our kids uh, other, you know, opportunities in life as well. And, you know, we were a little concerned about the insecurity in, in Mexico at that time. And it was a tough decision for me because, I mean, I was still working in television and doing everything. And I knew it was going to kind of be start from zero, you know, kind of back to square one. But I was fortunate enough to get an agent right away. And um, there was more voice work than anything because we're in Houston. So there's no big TV studios other than news channels. So I just started to discover what I could do in voice and uh, started to love everything, all the possibilities, specifically for e-learning, you know, for commercial work. Uh, and I had to learn, of course, uh, to use, um, you know, all the the software and everything and, and knowing what mic to get. And, and uh, my studio has been transformed several times since then. And I finally have since 2020 my my booth, my recording booth, and I'm very, very happy with it. And yeah, and and talking about the the languages well my situation was uh, you know I was just fortunate to have parents uh, from two different countries and being raised in a third country so that's it's what you call a third culture kid and so Italian by birth and my dad always spoke to us in Italian and then um, my mom is British so um, we as, as we were growing up we would speak mainly Spanish because that's you know we went to school in Mexico and communicated with everyone else in Spanish but we were able to talk to to our parents actually were sort of like translating instantly because they spoke to us in their own language and we would respond in Spanish. And so that's like an instant translation right there. Yeah. And we maintained the other languages because we, we would read in each of those languages. And every time we went to visit our relatives in Europe, we would communicate with them, of course, in their own language. Um, so that sort of kept it up. And then when I when I finished high school, I decided to go to Italy and just perfect my pronunciation in Italian. And so I stayed there for a year, learned French and German as well. They're not my main languages, so they're not as strong as the other three, but, um, but I can communicate, you know. And I have worked also, done little tidbits of things in, in those other two languages. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, and... and uh, very happily switching between them and, and doing accents and stuff uh, for work. So, yeah, 
it's been fun. Talk to me about accents, because I'm curious about that. I mean, obviously, you hear a lot of people who are native Spanish speakers who sound like they speak with a Spanish accent, right? They come to the mm-hmm. States, and and uh, I, I'm working with a, a gentleman, one of the guys in my mastermind group this year is working on what he calls Spanglish demos, right? So it's like uh-huh. that, that English-Spanish demo. Listening yeah. to you, there's very little, I, I hear very little accent in your English, so... Is that a product of just speaking multiple languages for the vast majority of your life? Have you done accent reduction training or anything like that in order to be able to do that? Because I'm guessing that that would be one of the challenges for people that do speak multiple languages is the accents that come along with those. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, no matter how many languages you speak, you're always going to have your main language, right? Mm -hmm. It's what you call your your mother tongue. Even even though for me, for example, I was born in Italy, but I I grew up in Mexico. So I was two when we moved to Mexico. So I would say my my strongest language is Spanish. Um, And so that's why I wanted to perfect my my accent in, in Italian. And in the case of English, for example... I have taken a few a few sessions for accent reduction, though not not for a prolonged time. What I do is I do a lot of tongue twisters, and I also I have a good ear, so I tend to listen and pick up. And, and then when I do auditions, I go back and I correct certain things that come out, you know, not as clearly as as I would like. Uh, and so I I do a lot of self correction in that aspect. But it is good for people that are. 100% bilingual to just take a look at their accent, you know, and listen, listen back and, and also, you know, just make sure that what you're putting out there is is, is as good as people deserve to hear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a lot of, of, of work. I've done a lot of IVR in both languages, um, promotional videos and stuff, you know, where the same client hires me for both languages. And so I've been very fortunate there. And I always go back and, you know, I take a little bit longer to to polish the, the, the part that I do in English than the Spanish one just you know, it's it's a lot easier. It just it just rolls out, right? And for Italian as well, um, yeah, I do the same thing. You know, um, I listen back and I I train myself. I don't get as much work in Italian, but uh, when I do, yeah, I mean, I, I work a lot on on cleaning the accent. I'm guessing that there's different situations where it requires different things anyway. Like if you're doing English narration that is going to air in a Spanish market, for example. If there's accent there, then it sounds more natural based on the audience, right? As opposed to Mm -hmm. doing English speaking for English speaking audience or whatever. So I guess there's different scenarios where you probably have to be able to either reduce accent or add accent. Does Uh that make sense? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It it totally makes sense. And then I'm going to tell you something like really funny. I don't know. It's just my circumstance. The clients that hire me most to do work in English, they are either European or Latin American. And uh, clients in the U.S. hire me more for Spanish and, and sometimes Italian. And now, I mean, I would say for a few years, also a bit more in English, specifically for IVR, right? I mean, they love to have just one person do both languages. Yeah. And in Italy, they hire me to do stuff in English (laughs) because not as much in Spanish. But um, I worked in an audio drama uh, in 2020. And I did this girl called Grace Holland for uh, the guy called it an audio movie, which is like a really like an epic story. And I played this girl with with a Spanish accent, but not 
not a Mexican accent, but a Castilian accent speaking Italian. And so, yeah, it's fun also. And, and you do need to talk to clients and, and ask them and make the distinction of what type of accent they want and the level of accent, like the, the heaviness of the accent, right? I mean, sometimes if, if, uh, if it's someone from, I don't know, they live in a rural area in Peru, for example, you know, I did a a project. It was kind of a, a documentary and there were testimonials and they wanted people to sound as though they were, you know, they were speaking in English, but with a very heavy accent. So I, what I do is I give them take one, two and three and I go from thickest to lightest or the other way around from lightest okay. to thickest. And I let them pick, you know, and that way they, they will know. Uh, sometimes they say, yes, we, we want this to be accented, you know, and I, I give them that option and they go, oh, no, no, no. Number one is better. Why? Because they're afraid that if it's a thicker accent, then the public won't understand it. So that is a just... valid point that I would have never even thought about is, you know, I mean, we're used to asking qualifying questions about direction as far as, you know, do you want fast or slow or conversational or authoritative or, you know, all those sorts of things never yeah. even occur to me to have to ask about how thick do you want the accent? I guess that's not a problem for me because I can only speak one language, but yeah, that makes sense that you would have, that would be part of it too. So I'm guessing, I mean, it's really interesting to hear how you're, you're, some of the countries that you work in, you actually don't end up working in the languages that I suppose you would expect that you are going to work in. Yep. So yep. talk about marketing yourself as a trilingual talent, because I'm guessing that that comes with a unique set of challenges, probably with mm -hmm. some advantages as well. But, you know, when you're reaching out to European clients with the ability to do Italian or Spanish, or you're reaching out to U.S. clients with the ability to do English or Spanish or Italian or all these different factors that come into it. So how do you, what are, what are some of the ways that you approach marketing differently when you speak three languages as opposed hmm. to somebody like me who just speaks one? Well, I would say it just depends on uh, where you are marketing. For example, if you're talking about uh, pay-to-plays, right? Sometimes you're able to see in the country that they're from, you know, let's take, for example, Bodalgo, right? And uh, so you see the audition notice there and the copy is in English. And I go and I see the name of the person in the country where they're from. If I see they're Italian, then apart from sending my audition or my demo, if there's no uh, script, uh, you know, required, I do the, the note. I, I type the, the little note that you type for them. I do it in their own language. And so that makes it a lot easier. And I, I've booked work that way because there is a sense of familiarity with them. They say, OK, yeah. we're going to hire this person. And it's it just, you know, relaxes them to know that they'll be able to communicate with me in their own language. And there, there won't be that barrier that sometimes if, if they're not that sure, if they're not that comfortable speaking English, even though they want their job to be done in English, it just makes them relax a little bit more that they'll be able to ask of me, whatever they want, you know, any nuances or even if it's a session, you know, just just scheduling and all those details that go into the job itself, um, they're happy to be able to communicate in their own language. So that is an advantage. And now if we're talking about just emailing someone directly from, uh, you know, whatever country and uh, you want to let them know that you're able to do more than one language, um, so, you know, what I do is I just attach uh, demos in each language and, and I ask them, you know, do you want me to send you another demo in this language or what sort of demo do you want? Because sometimes if you attach more than one 
MP3, you know, it might not get through to them. Right. There's, you know, those blockages or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I try to reduce it because I don't want it to be like a very lengthy email. So I just try to reduce it to two or three lines, telling them a little bit about my background and my ability to just do the job in, in the language that, that they would like, you know. Do you so, look at marketing your languages strategically based on things like geography or or population demographics? So, for example, you know, you're in Texas. Mm-hmm. There's a Spanish-speaking population in Texas. So do you look at that when you're marketing and say, okay, based on what I'm assuming the, the demographics are in this location, I'm going to let them know that I do English, Spanish, and, and like get strategic about it that way? Or, you know, when you're marketing in Latin America – you're letting them know I do this or this or how, how do you approach it from that standpoint? Is there strategy behind it or is it just kind of a this is me? These are the three languages that I do and I can help you with any one or all three of them. Yeah, I, I think it's more like that. You know, for example, when I find someone on LinkedIn, I, I look at what uh, country they're from and what type of work they do. If I'm interested in the type of work that they do, if, if I see that they do the level of things that I, that I would love to do, that I would love to work with, then I communicate with them in, in their own language and tell them right away that, that I can send them demos in, in other languages. So it, it just depends. And you also have to be careful, you know, because if you send them, uh, you know, the, the messages and, and then right away they, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we, we want to do this uh, with you or whatever. But they, they tend not to be as clear, for example, like right up front, um, I, I guess, like with any client, right? And so you, you have to, you know, make things very, very clear from the beginning. You know, what language do you want? What accent do you want? You know, and rates as well. You know, that's a whole other thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's not that much of a specific into, you know, their demographics or whatever, because you have people in Latin America uh, creating, you know, sometimes campaigns that are worldwide, mm-hmm. you know. So, so yeah, I mean, now, gosh, I mean, you have uh, companies, for example, um, I do commercials for, for Ford, for the Hispanic market, and I'm connecting with studios in Uruguay that are doing, uh, you know, they're creating the tags for the Ford campaign here in the U.S. And so there you go. I mean, you have people from all over working with worldwide campaigns. The internet has made the world very small, that is for sure. Yes. So how do the audiences vary or do they? And I guess what I mean by that is, do you take one kind of email marketing approach with an English audience, but then does your email look differently? And I don't just mean from a language standpoint, but mm-hmm. in, the, in the way that you communicate, do you communicate differently with a, a Spanish audience? Or like, I know, for example, that in Latin America, WhatsApp is very popular. And, oh, yeah. and I've had mm-hmm. clients that I work with down there that are saying, you know, get WhatsApp. I don't want to do this via email. So, I mean, there's little nuances yes. based on, you know, where you're marketing, what country or, or what region or whatever. So are there things like that that you have to take into consideration? You do. I mean, from a cultural standpoint, you also have to know how to communicate with those people and what sort of things would put them at ease or make them feel more comfortable when hiring someone from, you know, that is living in a different country or, you know, for Latin American people, I use words or terminology uh, to, you know, put them at ease, to to let them know I'm here, I can do this work for you, no worries. And I understand about time crunch and that they prefer to communicate via WhatsApp, like in Mexico, definitely they love WhatsApp. 
And also another thing is that I know they take longer to pay, right? So I don't start sending a, a bunch of emails or, or, or reminders for the invoice because I know that makes things worse. You know, I know I, I just have to be patient and, uh, and give them, sometimes it's not 30 days, sometimes it'll be 60 days, but they will pay in the end. And so you have to know more or less what, you know, what you're working with. And for clients in the U.S., yes, I mean, I do, I do alter the approach to them, you know, into knowing, okay, what kinds of things do they want to know? Okay, well, they want to know right away and with, with fewer words, maybe, uh, what you can do for them and how quickly you can respond and how available you are to them, you know. So there you go, you know. Uh, I do change my, my approach a little bit in that sense. So I, I would say definitely if, if you take into account the cultural aspect of it, it's going to help you a lot in your marketing. I know I've worked with clients in Mexico before, and they've they've told me right up front, like, look, our payment terms are 90 days. And we're telling you that right now, right up front so that, you know, and you can take it or leave it or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, at, at least they told me up front. Now, there's been a couple of times where I've been able to negotiate that, that down to like 45 days or something. But there's no surprise there. Right. Because we've had yeah. those conversations up front. So if you know. Mm -hmm about some of those things ahead of time and understand what you're dealing with. And look, this is cultural differences, right? I mean, a yeah. lot of uh, North American, U.S.-based voice actors, we know how the market works here and we just expect that everybody else works the same way. And that is and definitely not yeah. the case so uh -huh. many times when you get outside of our borders. Working as a voice actor in 2022 means not only being able to get into the booth and do the performance side of things, but it means being able to sit down in the office and do the marketing side of things. And if that is an area of voiceover that you struggle with because you are not sure what to say or who to contact or how to contact them, maybe you're not comfortable with email marketing, maybe you're not comfortable with using social media, whatever it is, I can help. I would like to be able to help you to improve your marketing and ultimately to grow your voiceover business. I offer a number of different services and resources for voice actors, everything from online video courses right straight through to private one-on-one -on -one coaching where we can address your specific needs. And I would love to have the opportunity to work with you and help you become a more confident and effective marketer. You can see everything that I have to offer at markscottcoaching.com including booking a free 15-minute consultation with me to talk about your specific marketing needs or challenges. Again, all the information is available at markscottcoaching.com. That's M-A-R-C-S-C-O-T-T, coaching.com, markscottcoaching.com. Now, back to our show. In today's market, it seems like it is more and more necessary and commonplace. You got to have a demo for every genre you want to work in. Oh, yeah. So does that literally mean triple the number of demos for you or when you do your English or sorry, when you do your Spanish and your Italian, are they more generalized, you know, like multiple genres mixed into a demo or how do you handle that? Because I'm guessing it could get very expensive in a hurry. It can get expensive, but you do need to have separate demos and separate genres for each. I mean, just like in English, you know, you would not be sending a commercial demo to a, an e-learning client. You know, you just don't. Yep. And and so it's the same thing in Spanish and Italian. So um, I do have those. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm talking with uh, with a very good demo producer and, and coach uh, right now because I'm I'm about to renew my my Spanish narration demo. And he was very very specific. And he said, Well, yeah, but do you want it for 
only e-learning or do you want it for museum audio tours or do you want it for documentary? You know, so, uh, you know, he said you, you do need to be very, very specific in that sense. And it's, you know, same in Italian. It's, it's just part of your strategy. What do you want to work more in, in uh, what type of narration? And if you would really want to do more documentaries, well, you know, you know, you're, you need to practice those skills and definitely do a very demo-specific uh, or genre-specific demo. So have you, I was going to say duplicated, but I guess it would be triplicated. Have you done the exact same demos that you have in English, in Spanish, and in Italian? Or have you been more selective? Like, you know, I do six different genres in English, but I'm only going to do four genres in Spanish. And I only focus on two or three genres in, in Italian. Or how, how have you done that then? Like, uh, do you decide these are the genres that I'm going to go after, or is it literally just whatever I do in one, I do in the other and the other? Mm-hmm. Um, I do have the same number of demos in English uh, as I do in Spanish, fewer in Italian, because as I say, I, I don't get that many requests to work in Italian. But yeah, I mean, I do have my, my genre-specific demos there, and and, uh, and also I'm, I'm going to work into others because I want to start doing more animation now, and uh, I don't have animation-specific demos. But yes, uh, I mean, I definitely have those, you know, all the different genres in English and in Spanish at the same, the same quantity. I guess if you're making money, right, if you're booking in those genres, then ultimately the demos are an investment that pays for themselves. But, oh, my goodness, I don't envy somebody that has to do the initial cash output to get that many demos because, yikes. I mean, sometimes I feel bad enough when I'm getting them done just in in one language, let alone three. So I know. (laughs) What about your website then? Do you have, if, if somebody goes onto your website, is it? like a translation link that they can click for Spanish and Italian? Do you do you offer different landing pages for different languages, different mm. sites for different languages? How have you handled that? Okay, that that's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I've gone back and forth uh, with that, actually. Um, my my website, my older website, was done in both languages completely. You know, um, I was, you know, a page in, in English and a page in Spanish. But then you want to go and update it and you have to do double the, the work for updating it all. And I'm like, OK, no, this is too much. You know, you barely even have enough time to update in one language. So um, this time I thought, OK, uh, for me, I'm living in the States. Most of my clients are either in the States or in Europe. I have fewer in, in Latin America. But those that do, we have a, we're very fortunate to know that most Latin American clients are bilingual, even if it, if English is not their main language, but they all read English. They all communicate in English. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do this website only in English. And I'll have my demos in, in each language, of course, you know, but the explanation of the little description and everything, it's all going to be in English. And they will know from when they hear my demos that I am able to communicate with them in their own language. And of course, work in that language. So that that was my decision. I know everyone can be different. There's uh, people that I know that, that do have a specific page. If you want to invest in it and or if you have someone that could do it for you, that, that uh, can take care of all that marketing in both languages, then go for it, of course, you know. So it's, it's just a question of a preference. It's another one of those things where it really can start to add up, you know, different demos, different websites, mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. So, I mean, there's different oh, yeah, ways to go sure. about it, though. Have your website translated create maybe a, an individual landing page if you're going to market in a specific language maybe a separate landing page or something like that mm-hmm. now what about social media then do you do 
different accounts for different audiences based on mm-hmm. language? Is it all mixed mm-hmm. together in single social media accounts? How have you handled that? Most of my posts are bilingual. So the same amount that I write in English, I write in Spanish as well. So I try not to be too lengthy <laughs> in either one. Uh, some days I'll I'll just think of something like, uh, I don't know, a joke or something in one language and just leave it at that and, and not translate it. But most of the time I write in English and Spanish every, every single post that I do, uh, either LinkedIn or I don't do Twitter as much, but, but Facebook or Instagram, I always do it bilingual. It almost feels like every language that you add is adding almost like a separate business to the mix, right? There's your mm-hmm. there's your English voiceover business, there's your Spanish voiceover business, there's because you've got your English demos, you've got to do English website, English social media, but then, you know, in the Spanish side, you've got Spanish demos, maybe, you know, one talent does a Spanish website, maybe they don't, but maybe they're doing separate Spanish posts or maybe they're doing bilingual the way that you're doing it, but it's it does create a whole other set of of challenges and and time commitments that go along with that, which is mm-hmm. uh, you know I guess when you're, if as long as it's making you money, right? Then, yeah, exactly. And you know, another thing. I mean, talking about marketing myself, uh, another place where I'm starting to do it in in both languages is my podcast. I started to do it all in Spanish. It was mainly Spanish. Uh, then I started to realize, well, you know what? But I have guests that I do want to interview in their own language, you know, and it's really important. Right. And as as I just said, you know, many people in in Latin America are bilingual anyway, you know. So I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna have guests in both languages now. And uh, somebody told me at the beginning, a producer, he said, look, if you want to build an audience, you need to do it only in one language. Because otherwise, you know, people won't know what you're doing or, you know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll not be as, uh, as happy to receive uh, suddenly a, an episode in English when, when they've only been listening to you in Spanish. Then I thought, you know what? Okay, I, I stuck to that narrative and to that model for, for the first year and a half of my podcast. But then I, I thought, you know what? And then also because a, a friend of mine that has a podcast also, he does both languages. And I thought... Well, he's having, you know, a, a good following. You know, he's being successful with that podcast. And I think people know me well enough by now to know that, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm bilingual. So that's how I'm going to present myself in, in my podcast as well. Um, so, you know, I'm doing it now in the season that I'm uh, post-producing right now. There's three episodes in English with, with excellent guests, you know, that I know my audience is going to be very happy to hear <laughs> those interviews and uh, because they have a lot of value. So I'm really happy to share those. I mean, to me, I see it as a growth strategy, right? You're expanding mm-hmm. your potential reach of your audience now. And I guess there's workarounds for it too, though. Like, so for example, you could take your episodes that you're doing in English and maybe have somebody translate them to Spanish and have a transcript posted or something like that, right? So you're still mm-hmm. finding ways to accommodate both sides, but it seems to me like it's just the the natural progression of growth and expanding your audience and expanding your reach. Now, I, I guess that leads well into the next question then, which I think every voice actor, regardless of the language or languages they speak, has had to deal with translation in some capacity. I've got mm-hmm. I've got clients from Latin America. I've done work with clients from Turkey, from uh, Italy, from Spain, from Germany, from the Middle East, and and every once in a while stuff comes in, and and you can tell that whoever wrote out the English version of the script, it was not their first language, mm. and so yeah. translation becomes something that we all have to think about. 
how do you handle that when you're working in three different languages? I'm guessing that it's even more of a challenge, especially, I guess, if you were doing, say, the English and Spanish version of a narration. Yeah, uh, my goodness. <laughs> Translations, yes, that that is quite an issue. Just this morning, I did an IVR and the Spanish translation was done. I mean, it, it's someone that probably Spanish is their second language and then they felt pretty confident to just go and translate uh, five prompts and it was very bad. So I had to tell the client, hey, look, uh, you know, I'm happy to do this, but it needs editing because you just don't say these things, you know, uh, and, and comparing it to the to the English script, you know, I was able to, to tell them, OK, you know, I'll edit this for you. And then it's a conversation there also where you're like, OK, I can edit this for you. It's going to cost you this much, but you can't go overboard, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. some of the budgets are already quite small. Yep. Um, but you'll say, I mean, and it all depends. If it's a big script, then yes, you're going to charge for your time. If it's a small script and if it's only three, four corrections, I mean, I don't charge them any extra. But it's just for me that that I, I need to tell them because, you know, we need to be on the same page. So I've gone backwards and forwards on, on things, on issues about translations. And sometimes I'll, I'll you know, they'll ask for the, the translation up front. And uh, if I have to, I'll call someone that I know. I have a couple of friends that are excellent translators and they'll just do it for me. Or I'll let the client know that in this occasion, I, I really don't have time for that. Do they want me to recommend a translator or do they have someone that they're comfortable using? So it's all about that. And um, if you're willing to do it yourself and uh, I mean, for me, it's it's no problem, and I can translate it right away. Um, but it's a question of do I have the time for this, you know, and how's my schedule looking in the next few days? And um, so, yeah, and, and some of them are just more terrible than others. And so it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I've seen it all. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I, mean, I know with when I've got scripts coming in from certain clients, I know that they're being translated from somewhere probably originally overseas. And and sometimes the translation, they, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. They do a word for word translation, I guess. But word for word doesn't always make sense when you get it into a different language because of just the nuances of language. Right. And so yeah. I've got certain clients that I work with where I know I'm going to see stuff that's just not going to flow. Mm -hmm. But we're at a point in our working relationship where they know that I'm just going to make it right. Right. Like I, as yeah. I'm reading it, I can just, oh, I see what they did here and then just fix it. And I'm not billing yeah. anybody for that. But exactly. every once in a while, yeah, you're right. Something comes in and you're like, oh, my gosh. And if you're going to do it, you've got to be compensated or you've got to send it back to somebody who is because, mm -hmm. you know, you got to respect your time as well. But I'm I'm grateful I only have to deal with that in one language because I see how much of a challenge it is sometimes in one language. So I can't imagine trying to do it in multiple. Now, are there is there an expectation or have you ever found a situation where the client asks you to do both? You know, say you're going to do the English and you're going to do the Spanish version of a, of a spot. Yeah. And they only send you the spot in one language. Or do you always get the spot in both languages fully translated? Or are there situations where they just expect you to be able to do it because you speak mm -hmm. both and you're doing the recording in both anyway? Most of the time I get the translation. Uh, but on occasion, they've asked me to to translate it. And sometimes when it's translated, they ask me to edit it. Like they they know up front it might not be a great translation. So they ask me to do it. And another thing that I also run into a lot is the... Um, like when you get a spot and it's a 15 second spot or a 30 second spot and and you receive the translation and I look at the copy and I'm like, oh, there is no way this is going to fit in 30 seconds. Yeah. 
you know, like, and I tell them, I'm like, look, if you want me to do the fast read, I'm like, the really fast read, there you go. I mean, I can do it for you, but it's really going to sound too rushed and it's not even, even going to be very understandable for, for the public. And so I, I give them the options, you know, and there's uh, times where we've corrected a, a script and, and taken out words because, you know, they want everything to be there, like the full offer. And then they want to repeat the name of the product four times, you know, in a 30 second spot. Yes. And you're like, OK, no, that this really just doesn't work, you know. And so, um, that, you know, back and forth a couple of times until they, they finally understand. Um, but but most of the time it's uh, it's it's well translated. You brought this one up, so we're going to go there. How much fun is figuring out rates when you're working in multiple languages across multiple countries? I mean, here, obviously, we have the GVAA rate guide, which is fantastic. Uh, but then again, that works specifically for the U.S. market, not so much in Canada or Europe or anything like that. So what do you do when you're working in all of these different countries in all of these different languages? Are there resources for when you're trying to put together your quotes? You know, luckily, yes. And this is something really good that I only knew about in, in the past couple of years. Every country in Latin America has their own uh, membership organization, you know, like WOVO. In Mexico, it's AMELOC, which is the Association of Commercial Voiceover Artists. And there's one in, in Ecuador and there's one in Peru. And, you know, each country has that. And I was able to see that um, this past uh, One Voice conference in Dallas because there, there was a roundtable with the representatives from each of these organizations. And I just thought that is amazing because they do give voiceover artists the resources to know and guide them as to what they can expect from clients and what what the rates can be and and yes you're right i mean we we definitely can't have a guide from from gvaa for latin america and and we can't expect clients to be able to meet those rates because of course the economy is different in in each country yes so so you know, on one hand, you have to think, okay, do I want to work in Latin American countries? You know, if you if you want to do that, if you're willing to do that, uh, no matter where you live, but if that's your main language and, and, and you know that most of your clients are going to be Spanish speakers and Spanish speaking audiences, um, then you have to relax your, your grip on a specific set of rates. Yeah. And, and you just have to ask other people because, of course, you don't want to be taken advantage of, uh, right? And so we talked about their longer, uh, you know, payment terms and that you have to wait either 90 days or sometimes even more than that, you know. Um, but you also have to be willing to lower your expectations. and But up to a specific point, if you have those guides from each of these associations, now you know how low is good for, for you to make, you know, a good profit of it and for the client not to think that you're trying to take advantage of them, you know, and also for, for you to establish yourself as a professional one that is not going to work like or do a commercial, a national commercial for a country for 150 bucks, you know. Yep. So it's interesting because, I mean, even in Canada, right? Look at our economy. We, the United States is a population of what, 330 million and Canada is a population of what? 30 million. Like we're literally 10% the size, right? So the economy yeah. is not even remotely close. And so are there instances where you can get GVAA rates in Canada? Of course there are instances, but is it the norm? No, definitely not. I mean, not even from my agents. And so I understand that. 
so I get it when I when I get a client from Mexico who wants me to quote a project. I understand that there there is a discrepancy in the rates from what I might be used to getting based off of GVAA, but we all have to figure out, I guess, what our bottom line is, what we're willing mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. You know, I've turned down work from Latin America before, but I've also taken a lot of jobs that were pretty close or I felt were pretty fair given given what they were at. But we do have to recognize that from a voiceover rate standpoint, you know, the GVAA and even David Toback, who's the founder and creator of the rate guide, even he said it himself, like it's, you know, it's a U.S. based guide. And so you can't mm-hmm. expect that every country in the world is going to follow along with it. So you yeah. have to look for some of the other different tools and resources that are out there. Gravy for the Brain has some different rate guides for different countries, too. Is they that right? They do. They do. And there's Gravy for the Brain Latam, which is, uh, you know, directed by Rona Fletcher. She's an amazing voiceover artist. And, and she is she's very good in, in telling people, you know, in, in new talent uh, that there is that resource and, and that people can actually go there and, and then, you know, the rates will be adjusted. So I think that's an excellent resource to, to look at, uh, apart from all the other services that, that they provide. But I encourage people from from uh, each of the Latin American countries that, that could be listening to, to this episode to really go in and find out um, you know, the, the association uh, for voiceover people in their own country. Get close to them, become a member, and uh, and just talk to them and, 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 you know, get an idea of the fair rates that, that they can be asking for. And, and there's also, you know, it's sad to say, but there have been a lot of scams going around. And if you're connected with those groups, you know, either through WhatsApp or Facebook, you know, being a member of those groups, a lot of us will will issue when we see something right away, you know, as, as we do also, you know, in other Facebook groups here in the U.S. But you're like, hey, there's this this scam going around and or or not even a scam, but there's this client that wants to do a, a setup of six spots and they are worldwide and they want to pay eight hundred dollars for everything. I mean, and, and, and you're like, OK, people, please, you have to know yes. <laughs> that that is not acceptable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Still it's good, do it's good to be connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be connected. Be connected. Do research and, and know what is fair for you. And just to be aware of what can be going on with uh, with certain clients. So do you maintain different rate cards for your different languages? Or is it not specifically the language that's the factor as much as it's the the geography of where the client is located? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both, you know, Um I look at the the Ameloc prices, you know, the, the Mexican Association. Um, when I when I get clients from Mexico, and uh, so you know, I know what I can ask. And uh, if I work, uh, like some of the the jobs that I've gotten for Latin American countries have uh, been through Voice One Two Three, and so right away there, I, I've seen you know the, the the rates that they have, and, and then I decide right away whether I want to accept them or not. So I don't even have to look at a rate guide, you know. I just have to sort of, you know, compare it and say, okay, am I willing to do this kind of work? If, if it's not national, if it's not a spot, for example, if it's, um, I don't know, promotional video that will only go on the client's website, am, am I willing to take, you know, accept $200 for this? Okay, well, how how long is it, you know? Yep. So it's uh, you, you just have to look at all the, the different things and be aware of, of things that might come your way where, you're, where you have to, like you said, you know, just uh, stick to your bottom line. I'm curious within the United States, is it fair across the board with if you book a spot in English versus if you book a spot in Spanish? Are those are those two languages, are they on par with each other? 
Yes, yes. From what yeah. I've seen, definitely. I mean, if you know, I, I do some campaigns that that are union. You know, I'm, I'm a union talent now, so uh, so definitely they go by the the SAG scale, right? And so it doesn't matter the language that that you do. And sometimes they're they're, you know, I've I've seen that there's like a they charge even a little bit more. Like you get a little bit more when when it's it's in another language. Uh, from but from what I've seen right now, it's 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 just the same. You know, no matter the language. For the voice actor who speaks a second language or a third language or a fourth language, I think by the time you you added German and French into the mix, that put you up to to five languages. Um, yeah. I'm wondering what. If there's any other advice that you have to offer, I mean, we've talked about handling social media and your website and some different marketing nuances. We've talked a little bit about rates, but for for the voice actor who does have this very valuable tool in their toolbox, and as mm -hmm. somebody who's been doing this very successfully in your own career for a number of years, is there anything else that you want to offer? Any other insights, tips, tricks, or wisdom that you have to to deliver that maybe I didn't think to ask about? Well, I would say that if you're going to promote yourself as as a bilingual talent, you know, you have to really know your um, capabilities and your limitations in each of those languages, because you certainly don't want to promote something and then you're not going to, you know, make good on your promise, right? So if you say, oh, I can do, for example, in my case, right, uh, I've done things in a Castilian accent and... And so I've done it before. I've studied it. You know, I've uh, you know watched a lot of, of movies and and uh, with a Castilian accent. I've practiced it, and I know that I can offer it. And I've worked in that accent as well. For people who do accents, even if you don't speak that other language fully, but you know you can do that accent convin you know convincingly that you're good at it, then you can promote it. So don't don't announce, don't false announce anything that you are not 100% sure that you can do okay, because otherwise it's going to turn out badly. Yeah, 100%. And, I, you know, for me, it's just a matter of figuring out who does all of these different languages and accents. And I keep a list of people like you in my CRM so that when my clients come asking, I have the ability to refer people that I know that can deliver in that language as well. So there's there's tips in there for all of us, whether we do one language, two languages or five languages. So I know you do a podcast. Uh, yeah. Give us a quick rundown of the podcast. Okay. So my podcast is called La Pizarra con Nicky Mondellini, which is the slate is La Pizarra. I wanted this uh, element that would uh, unite all of the mediums that, that I've worked in and that I love to work in. So theater, film, uh, television, and uh, voiceover. And um, I have guests in all of those genres, and they can be on either side of the camera. So um, I can have television executives, I can have producers. Um, you know, not so long ago, I, I, um, I started to edit an episode with Scott Rice, who is a director that has a company in, in Austin. And he's worked with Matthew McConaughey in a script to screen class at the University of Texas. And so that's one of the ones that I'm really excited to share. Yeah. Um, and I've also interviewed uh, a lot of wonderful people in voiceover, you know, people that also do dubbing, you know, dubbing actors in Mexico and, and in Colombia are phenomenal. It's just crazy when you hear the level of work that they've done and, and how amazing they are. So it's um, a lot of very interesting conversations with people that I either know very well or that, or that someone has recommended to me or that I've found on LinkedIn as well and that I've followed. And, uh, and those conversations go on. And they I always try to 
give a specific um, type of advice, you know, for, for people to learn from from those interviews, you know. So I asked my guests for advice as well. And uh, and, and then, you know, I asked them how they navigate the, the highs and lows of, of the business, you know, because, of course, it's artistic entrepreneurs or creative entrepreneurs. We all have those, you know. You there can have, are some serious peaks yeah. and valleys, that is for oh, sure. <laughs> my goodness, you can have like... A, five jobs in one day and then you can have two weeks with nothing you know yep. so yeah so that that's that's mainly what it is and the podcast is available across all the different platforms i'm assuming yes it is most platforms uh yeah and i'm also doing the the video version now so uh, which is quite of a challenge don't do it i was gonna say you're glutton for punishment that's just way too much work i people have asked me about doing the video version before i'm like no i don't have time it for takes, that it's <laughs> taking a while yeah so Mainly, you can either go on the lapisarrapodcast.com uh, website, or uh, I even have an app now that I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep the app, but it's also called Lapis, uh, Lapisarra Podcast, and that's the name of the app. Um, or, you know, look for it on all the platforms. Okay. Give us website, quick websites and social medias in case somebody wants to find you and reach out and have a conversation with you. Sure, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, they can find me as at Nikki Mondellini, N-I-C-K-Y-M-O-N-D-E-L-L-I-N-I uh, on Instagram. And uh, Facebook, I'm also Nikki.Mondellini or Nikki Mondellini voiceover talent. No, Nikki Mondellini voiceover. Sorry about that. Uh, LinkedIn, same thing, Nikki Mondellini voiceover. And the website, NikkiMondellini.com. And we'll include all of that information in the show notes for anybody that wants to uh, be able to go back and reference that. Well, Nikki, this has been really a really fun conversation because it's a lot to it's a lot to think about. And I'll tell you what, it makes me grateful that I only have to produce demos in one language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. There's a lot to think about and digest and process from this episode. And I'm so grateful to Nikki for everything that she shared. From getting demos produced in every language that you speak, trying to figure out how you're going to manage your website, whether you're going to have it translated or have different landing pages, trying to determine what your strategy is going to be for social media and managing different accounts and sharing posts and content in one language or two languages or three languages or however many you speak. It's a lot to take into consideration, and I hope that it has been very helpful for you if you are a multilingual talent working in this industry. If you did enjoy this episode and if you picked up some tips and tricks from it that are going to help you to do better in your business, I would love to know about it. And I know that Nikki would love to know about it as well. Would you do us a favor? Would you let us know if you're listening to this episode? Tag us in your Instagram stories. It is at Mark Scott and at Nikki Mondellini. And I will put those into the show notes so that you can find those and you can very easily make sure that you are tagging both of us. Let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you are learning. As always, I do hope that you've walked away with some actionable, practical advice from this episode. And if you did, make sure you share the episode with your friends as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday Vopreneur Podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly, we think. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The VoiceAm player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicesam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicesam.com slash markscott. And scene. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. 
Thanks for hanging out. Want more Vopreneur goodness? Jump online at vopreneur.com.